Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Brightview Senior Living. Since 1999, Brightview has proudly served Greater Baltimore with vibrant, independent living, assisted living, memory care, and enhanced care. Find a community near you at brightviewseniorliving.com. And I said, hey, I heard you're moving to Chicago. Do you know anyone who needs a roommate? And he said, well, I'm living with my friend, but three's cheaper than two. So I had pretty much given up on finding Mr. Bright. And 10 years ago, I even attempted to join a Benedictine enclosed monastery so that I could, I figured it may, if, if I couldn't do anything else, I could pray for people. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast. I'm Laura Wexler. And I'm Jessica Hinken. And this week on the podcast, we are beginning a three-part series about weddings. Um, These stories come from a show that the Stoop did with Baltimore Weddings magazine. Shout out to Janelle Ehrlich Diamond last May, so at the start of last wedding season, and here we are at this wedding season, and so we want to share some of these stories with you. This week, uh, to begin the series, we have two tales of unconventional matches, and we begin with Jessica Murphy Garrett's tale. She is the vice president of People for All of You, which is a Baltimore-based ed finance company. Just listen to this story. I met... Chris, the summer after college, which seems from other stories like a popular time to meet your future spouse. I was working at the Colorado Shakespeare Festival, where I went to college, um, and I was prepared to move to Chicago at the end of the summer and make all my dreams come true or whatever. And uh, my friend, who I was supposed to move with, her internship fell through, and it was a couple weeks before our move date, and I had nowhere to live and no one to live with. And someone at the Shakespeare Festival said, I think Chris is also moving to Chicago. You should talk to him. And I found him at a party, and we'd never really spoken before. And I said, hey, I heard you're moving to Chicago. Do you know anyone who needs a roommate? And he said, well, I'm living with my friend, but three's cheaper than two. (laughs) And then I blinked, and we were living together. And we lived together in Chicago for a couple of years in the way that you do in your early 20s. And we... We're dating a bunch of people and drinking way too much and smoking way too much weed. And I was a preschool teacher at the JCC, and I would bring home a different cold every week. But also, it was the JCC, so I would bring home a fresh challah every week. And so it was kind of a wash. And one night, we got so drunk that we made out and fell asleep on my living room floor And a lot of things could happen after a story like that. I think a lot of great love stories start like that. Um, We got in a huge fight and um, sort of vowed not to be friends ever again. Um, And we were able to hold it together through the end of our time living together before I moved here. We held a prom in our house. My prom date showed up in a shirt that said beer slut. It was very (laughs) early 20s. And I moved here. And over the course of the next decade or so, we were able to repair our friendship after that drunken makeout. And we became very close, and we visited each other, and we lent each other money, and we even worked together a couple of times. Um, I was sort of rounding the corner to 35 when I'm told that your fertility stops dead in its tracks. And that's not true, by the way. Um, And I knew I started having to think about my life and if I wanted a family. And... (laughs) 
I was dating a bunch of people, and, and they were all great. Well, okay, some of them need to jump in a lake, but that's a story for a different stoop. And uh, none, of, none of these guys wanted children or were ready for children. And I said, okay, I will do this on my own. That is what I will do. That is where we are in our lives. So I, I thought, I have a good job and good insurance. And so I go to the fertility clinic, and they said, you're good to go. And I said, okay, I'm going to get inseminated. And I was prepared for that. And then I got a letter from my insurance company that said, you will not get inseminated because... Here at this insurance company in this state, we don't pay for that if you're not married. And I thought, that's bullshit, and this has to be illegal. By the way, it's not, or it wasn't. Um, A lot of great people have worked on it since then, but there are still a lot of loopholes, so buyer beware. Um, And I was indignant, man. I was righteous about this. I took a picture of that shit, and I put that shit on Instagram. (laughs) And men love that, by the way. And I immediately got a message from Chris that said, so if all you need to do is get married, let's get married. And I laughed and I said, well, you know, my last proposal was from a guy I met at Joe Squared who told me he wanted to wear my skin. So... Proposal-wise, things are looking up. (laughs) But I laughed it off, and then he said, I'm serious. Think about it. And I thought about it, and we talked about it over the next 10 days. We talked about what the benefits of being married could be. I would get to have a baby. He would get health insurance, uh, some stability in his life, a place to go, things to do. He was living in Florida and feeling kind of stuck there. And he said, I'll come and help you with the baby. And I said, great. Okay, we're doing this. We were engaged for 10 days. We got married at the courthouse up here. Uh, We had a great wedding day. We, you know... The, the wedding was fantastic. We partied all night. We fell asleep entwined as he whispered the sweet nothings that I think any bride of the last almost 20 years knows all too well. My wife. <laughs> it was fucking annoying. Um, he, he moved in, and I thought the right thing to do is to ask him, is to give him first right of refusal on being the sperm donor, basically. And I said, you know, since we're married, I don't know if that's something you want. And, you know, he said romantically and wistfully, no, I'm good. (laughs) So I bought sperm with a credit card, (laughs) as one does. And I started going through fertility treatments. Um, And before I go any further, I just wanted a little interlude to answer the question that everybody always has, which is, do my husband and I have sex? (laughs) Much like many of you, I'm sure, no. (laughs) We don't. Sex, to me, right now, is like a lot of other things pre-pandemic and pre-parenthood. It's like a nightclub dance floor. Sweaty and fun, but it's not safe right now. You know what I mean? 
I love sex. I miss sex. Again, that's a story for a different stew. Um, he moved in shortly before the pandemic began. The pandemic began. We fought. He got into a biscuit-making phase. He got gallstones. We watched 11 seasons of NYPD Blue. It was a whole thing. Fertility treatments restarted. I was very blessed. I got pregnant right away. Um, You know, I could have done this on my own. I could have. It would have been a lot harder and a lot lonelier. And I had someone to push on my lower back in those late stages of pregnancy when you really need someone to just push on your lower back. I had someone to arrange the furniture to accommodate all the baby stuff and then rearrange the furniture when I had a temper tantrum from being five months pregnant and deciding that all the furniture looked wrong. I had someone to look up whether Orange Julius still exists. (laughs) It does, but only in select Dairy Queens. (laughs) And as much as I hate to say it, I had someone there at the hospital so I could be like, you just wait till my husband hears about this. Which is always a nice thing to have. And, you know, when the time came and I was in the hospital and I finally decided to have a C-section after labor that was just not progressing, I had somebody there too. I had somebody to hold my hands when my arms were trembling from the anesthesia and the fear. I had someone to look at. I could look at his signature black-framed glasses fogging up over his mask as they pulled her out and for those agonizing seconds when I couldn't hear her cry and then finally you know that noise that wonderful noise and see the umbilical cord had been wrapped around her neck and so they took her away and I remember saying what if she's lonely and so he went and he stayed with her and he held her hand and her fingers curled around his in the way that mine have so many times over the last almost 20 years. So later this year, as according to plan, my husband and I will be getting a divorce. (laughs) It's bittersweet, but you know what? It's not unlike other stories, right? Boy meets girl. Boy moves to Chicago with girl. Boy and girl kiss, and then they get in a fight for like five years. Boy and girl have a lifelong friendship. Boy helps girl. Boy moves on to do other things. Girl is scared and a little bit lonely and very tired, but girl has made other girl, right? (laughs) Everything is chill. Everything is good. And my daughter is eight months old. She is perfect. She is amazing. She is awesome. She giggles. She coos. She lets me eat her little toes. Her favorite food is spinach empanadas. She will stop crying when she hears um, Nellie's ride with me. <laughs> Listen, she's, she's amazing. My daughter did not and does not have a father. But thanks to a marriage designed to end during those first hours of her life, cold and alone, she had a friend. And she always will. Thank you.
Uh, yeah. So good. Yeah. I do I do want to say because she says at the end of the story that, you know, they're planning on getting divorced, that the marriage was always kind of a fixed term. And I want to report that actually they did get divorced um, this past February. So February 2023. Uh, they were trying to stay married longer than uh the love in blind love, love is blind, blind season one couples but they they didn't but yeah so they were married in february of 2019 and divorced in february of 2023 so four years together and boy they got a lot done yeah and boy Beautiful i don't know baby. i just i just yeah. i love the way they're just like, fuck all the conventions, yeah. fuck this. Like, we're going to do, we're going to make something yeah. that works for us. It's just amazing. Yeah. And when I say beautiful baby, I want to be really clear. It's Jessica's baby. Because I love the part in the story oh, yeah, where he's yeah. like, uh, she's like, do you want to, you know. Yeah. And he's like, ah, no. no, I'm good. And she, yeah. He's a, he's a friend. <laughs> yeah. Like, he, he's a friend. No, I love, I love everything about this story. Yeah. Boundaries. It's a, it's a story about boundaries. It's great. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and then we have another uh, marriage story for you to listen to. Support for WYPR's podcasts comes from Catholic Charities. Celebrating its centennial in 2023, Catholic Charities is the largest private provider of social services in Maryland. Learn more about this movement to change lives at cc-md.org. This next story we have for you today is from Louisa Dugan Rothenstein. And um, she's going to tell you all about her journey to this unconventional match in her story. So take a listen. So this is a lost and found story, I think. Um, I moved from Baltimore reluctantly to take a job with a wonderful Harvard attorney. And I started my career that way and um, lived up in New England, uh, western New England. Berkshire County is where I lived. And um, I had a little familiarity with that growing up, so I I knew it, and I, I moved there. And um, I began my life sort of on this long journey, um, always with the dream that I would one day, you know, find Mr. Wright and get married and have a beautiful wedding, etc. Um, but I sort of felt like I was getting on a raft and getting farther and farther from all my dreams and shore. And Berkshire County was quite remote in 1979 when I left. Anyway, things uh, way led on to way. You meet people, things happened. I had several proposals. I had three serious broken hearts. And I thought, after one son who was beautiful, but the guy I had him with decided that I wasn't right for him and he clearly was not right for me, um, I decided that this was enough. You know, I'd had enough. And... Um, Throughout, you have to know, I, I'm serious into faith and religion and whatnot, but I experimented a lot. I went from being a Catholic to a Unitarian to an Episcopalian <laughs> and back to Catholicism, finally, in this last sort of five years of my journey. Um, you can see I'm not exactly 25. I'm actually 68. And so I had pretty much given up on finding Mr. Bright. And uh, ten, 10 years ago, I even attempted to join a Benedictine enclosed monastery so that I could, I figured it maybe if, if I couldn't do anything else, I could pray for people. <laughs> Get them out of hell. Anyway, um, so they didn't take me. <laughs> That's a true story. I was very different. 
very defeated by that. And um, I thought, okay, fine, I'll start my own sort of interior um, contemplative life. And so I talked to my older siblings a lot, and, you know, my brother said, you really should try to pray the rosary. And I said, oh, really, you know, come on, get real. But I took, I took his advice, and I started to pray the rosary. And it, it stuck for a while, and then, and then I thought, no, this isn't really working for me. And anyway, it's struggling, and, and the journey was not so easy. And however, I managed to have a few good times in the meantime. So I, I really did decide I would, in the last three years, take the rosary up again, and um, my big sister had a lot to do with that decision, and I was reinventing sort of what my grandmother taught us, and I thought, this is a really nice tradition, and I really think I'm going to do this. So probably in 2018, I really started taking it seriously. So every single day since then, I have prayed the rosary. And I had given up on any kind of other life but to continue working, continue you know, surviving and living and being with my church and, and my choir and singing, which is very meaningful to me, and praying the rosary. So I just experimented with um, the idea of meeting someone again. And I met this gentleman that it was prearranged. We agreed to meet at the Clark Art Institute in Williamstown. And he, because he's an artist, um, an abstract artist by trade, and uh, trained as a classical musician. And these two things really inspired me. I thought, oh, well, he'll never want to go out with me. He's too smart and everything. So um, I thought, wouldn't this be interesting? And I love the Clark. So we went, and this exhibit was called Arabesque. And my name is an L, so if you and I did some dancing in my life, and if you sort of draw an L, it's very arabesque like and very there's movement and there's it's musical actually. And so I was fascinated by this and open to meeting this guy and who was cute, you know. I thought he was cute. <laughs> <laughs> and so but I also am very good at not saying yes to people, and I avoided five proposals in my life, and my best friend said, look, Louisa, if you decide to get married, you better let them know they should lock the door so you don't run out. <laughs> and that is really the truth. I, some, one guy characterized me as a deer that I would run away, and I often did run away. And so this gentleman who was very kind and sweet and... Um, Forthcoming, I felt very warm around him, um, but I thought, no, I'm, I'm not going to go any further. So I got in my car. By then, I had gotten a license plate that said, got joy on it. That, that was making me happy. You know what? I was finding happiness, <laughs> but these little ways, not depending on anyone else. So um, I got in my car from the museum after a nice walk up the hill. He indicated he wanted, it was a nice date for him. He thought that it was more than he had expected, and I should reconsider and, and go out with him again. And I, I thought, well, no, um, but I'm glad you like me. <laughs> so I got in my car and looked in my rearview mirror, and at that moment I saw this guy wave. And it was the most adorable wave, and I thought, I, this is so familiar. And it really got me. 
but I was still pretty hard fast. So we went on several dates. I made these luscious picnics, elaborate glasses, you know, cloth, napkins, the whole nine yards. We, in COVID times, we took the car and sat by a stream in an area in Stockbridge where I grew up. And once in front of the Red Lion Inn, which is a one-horse town, if you know it, um, he stood in front of me and gave me a beautiful hug and a nice kiss. And uh, he said, honestly, Louisa, I, I think that if you marry me, um, it could be the love like no other. And um, I, if you'll just please give me the chance, he said that to me. And that was the other thing that really stopped me. So stopped me from running, actually. So, but he didn't know that yet. <laughs> so... He said, what would it take to marry you? So me being with the rosary every day, and I'm thinking this is the Catholic thing, and I really should try to stick with the tenets of the Catholic Church if things are going to go better, because up till then, they did not go so well. So I said, well, you have to have an annulment from your prior marriage, and I can't marry you without that in the church. I want to be married in if it's going to be sanctified by God, which is really should be our foundation. And um, he's not a, a man of particular faith in re- any particular religion. He does believe in things that are inexplicably miraculous. And this relationship was becoming exactly that. And um, for me, at least, I think for him also, when I finally said yes to him and that I would marry him and... Um, So we had this remarkable return from New England to Baltimore, which was also part of my dream. I had, as I said, been on this raft floating farther and farther away from my home where I felt the love of the land. Maryland is my home. Baltimore County is where I grew up. I mean, I still go out there and take walks in the fields and the horse paths where we used to ride. And all of this had such incredible meaning and significance to me. So... I feel that um, a miracle has happened to me, and I was married in the church. I was baptized, first communion, and confirmed in. My high school friends came from Notre Dame. My grade school friends from St. John were my bridesmaids uh, from Smith College. My closest friend there also came. The only boss who really kept me on for 10 years came. And so I was able to, and my whole family came, and I was really able to pull this incredible journey of my life into one place on April 2nd, 2022. I have to... to tell my husband, Paul, that he is a saint, and um, we are working through many little things that have come up, and I am not the easiest person, and so I do love you, Paul, and such a sweet story and she's such a a, she's just very intentional about how she lives her life one of the things that I found very dear about her was uh, that for the release you know we asked her storytellers to sign a release she asked me to um, put it in the mail to her (laughs) (laughs) the literal snail mail which was wonderful like yeah and then she sent it back to me in a 
with a handwritten letter. It was just, it was very old school. It was great. Well, and just the idea that at some point she had made her peace with not getting married. And I feel like people say, like, as soon as you do that, that's when something happens. Or as soon as you, like, let go of something. Um, But I also love the idea because it's so alien to me that every day she was praying the rosary. I know that's not alien to you because you were raised. I was raised Catholic. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I think it's a a form of meditation that gets trained into you as a Catholic. Or like a, like a Buddhist chant. Yeah. Except it's told in this really weird voodoo-ish way. Nice. No great. offense to Catholics. They're just <laughs> I'm sure none taken. Um, <laughs> it's just no. Christianity. I mean, Catholicism is having a great moment now anyway. So, um, yeah. Okay. Um, okay, where were we? Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We will be back with more stories from The Stoop. Until then, you can find us at stoopstorytelling.com where you can listen to stories, find out about upcoming events. You can find this podcast and all of our other episodes wherever you get your podcast. And thank you to Maureen Harvey for making the podcast sound great. And she is not responsible for anything we say that is offensive. (laughs) See you soon. Have a good week.